Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. I need to practice forgiveness. What happens with forgiveness, guys, is this. You get unforgiveness, then it's mixed in with anger. It'll go down a path to the end result called bitterness. And bitterness and anger and unforgiveness have the shelf life of a Twinkie. It will last forever, but get harder and staler and no flavor. And that's exactly what your life will be. How can we attain true unity? How can we achieve oneness? Well, we can compromise and hit a pseudo version of the two, but that won't last for long. So now what do we do? How can we truly be one with our spouse or even with one another in the body of Christ? Well, the only way is to be united in the truth of God's word. When you use the scriptures as the standard for living, well, there's no wiggle room. God has given us clear instructions for life. You can find it from Genesis to Revelation. He's given each of us, his children, his spirit. As we seek more truth, the spirit is faithful to reveal it to us. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. I'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 29 as he concludes our message entitled, Don't Be Divided. Can they be lost? Our question should really be, were they ever saved? See, salvation is God's grace. You can't ever earn it. But then there has to be change in your life. God changes your life. You'll never be perfect, but there is changes. Now, not only would I have trouble as a pastor if this verse wasn't here, but I have great difficulty in my own life. Because how many have committed sins we went, I wish I wouldn't have committed that sin. And if you could give anything you had, you'd go back and do it again, wouldn't you? You'd do it right, but... You can't go back. And we've all been there. And the scripture says this, there is no sin that's unforgivable if you come to God. Now that's a double wow. It should be in your life because anybody that I talk to and they're going to give me this list of all the things they've done, I can say, pretty rough, pretty bad, pretty bad person. But God's grace is greater than your sin. You see, we don't look at it that way, do we? We, we try to categorize. Remember the woman caught in the... Actually, the, the woman at the well Jesus came to, she'd been married five and, and divorced five times and now living with somebody who wasn't her husband. You know, if they come in for counseling, I say, you know, fill out the form and say, divorced once. All right, we'll have to deal with it. Twice. Three times. What is our opinion of that person? Come on, be honest. What is wrong with you? What kind of person are you? And you're living with somebody now? Jesus didn't do that. He just said, hey, I can tell you're empty. You've tried everything the world has to offer. It isn't working, is it? i got living water for you. Would you like to accept me? Good. Now go tell the town there's hope. Why did he do that? Because of the verse you just read. There is no sin that's unforgivable. 
This morning, if you're here and you think you've gone too far, relax. That verse is for you. Now we come to an interesting couple of verses that you're going to say, well, Mark, you just said one thing, and Jesus just said one thing. What is this all about? Let's look at it. Verse 29 and 30. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Mark. You just said there was nothing on that list. And now Jesus says, yeah, there is. There's one thing on the list. What does he mean? Here's what he means. The unpardonable sin. We could discuss this till Jesus comes. But I'll try to give you a simple explanation that I'm satisfied with. You'll have to judge it for yourself. The Pharisees were close to committing this sin. They stood before Jesus and were attributing the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to who? To Satan. They were persistently refusing to believe that Jesus was the Messiah in spite of all the truth in front of them. Now they had rejected Jesus. He was the source of forgiveness. There was no more forgiveness for their sins. You see, the leaders were rejecting, number one, Jesus, who stood before him, and number two, the Holy Spirit, who was convicting them in their heart, in their lives. And what I believe the unpardonable sin is today, and by the way, this was really probably more for the Jewish people than it is for us, but the principle still holds. You can call it what you may. Is there a sin this morning of an unbeliever that will keep him from heaven? Yes. It's called the unpardonable sin. And here's what I believe it is. It is not one sin. It's not somebody saying the Holy Spirit is in cahoots with Satan. It isn't that at all. It's this. It's a continual and deliberate rejection of the Holy Spirit's convicting work in an unbeliever's life. Every time an unbeliever refuses a call to salvation, his or her heart gets a little harder. They turn a little more away from Jesus. And a person who turns away from Jesus can never receive forgiveness because only by accepting Jesus can you ever find forgiveness. Once your lifestyle has rejected Jesus, listen, as the source of being the Messiah and forgiveness, you have approached the area of the unforgivable, the unpardonable. Let me give you an illustration. In our lifetime, the Holy Spirit comes to every unbeliever, the scripture tells us in John 16 and John 14, to convict me, to tell me I'm in Satan's house and I need to get right with God. It's when the truth comes forth, we go, whoa, I thought I was a good person. I thought I was going to heaven, but I'm not. My sin separated me from God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in our lives as humans, there are X amount of times where the Holy Spirit comes and does that. I don't have the figure. I don't even know what the figure is. The Bible doesn't tell us what the figure is. But let me say this to you. Let's say for illustration this morning, 26 times God has in his little book that he's going to come to you and offer you salvation. You're at the 26th. You've rejected it every single time up to that point. At the 26th, 
the altar call is given through Billy Graham, through the television, through this church, through a friend, and you say, I reject coming to Jesus for forgiveness of my sins. I just reject it. I believe Jesus was a nice man. He might even be God, but I'm not coming to him for forgiveness. After that, you die. What have you done? Well, you've committed the unpardonable sin. Why? Because the only way your sin will ever be forgiven is by doing one thing, coming to Jesus. If you consistently refuse to come, you reject the only path to salvation. Do you got it? You got it. So now some people say he or she's committed the unpardonable sin. You can't say it. Now the Pharisees were very close to doing that. We don't know. In fact, if you look at the nation of Israel, they really did it as a whole up to that point. Let me ask you this morning. You say, ooh, I'm a little worried now. Did I I commit the unpardonable sin? I'm really worried. Thanks for bringing this up on a Sunday. If you're worried, relax. You haven't committed it. If you have worry in your heart whether you've committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't. That's the Holy Spirit dealing with you. So maybe you're here today and this is your 25th time. When I give the altar call, don't sit in your seat. Get up here. Accept His grace. And then every sin you committed will be what? Forgiven and forgotten. Now, is that a wow or is that a wow? That's a wow. That's a wow. That's a wow. That's right. So Satan causes conflict, division in my life as an individual. But then he brings it from the individual level to the home. And now you'll see the points. Point number one this morning. Marriage in the home is the key building block of the kingdom of God. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they were created and actually married by God, the first marriage. Marriage became the basic building block of our society. By the way, it still is this morning. Before there was a church, before there was a school, before there was any kind of government, there was a home, there was a marriage. Marriage was always God's idea. After he created man and he did all these wonderful things, it says in Genesis chapter 1 that everything was good, but when we come to Genesis 2, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So marriage was created by God through a woman. Someone to complement by the way, and complete a man. Marriage was designed to put an end to human loneliness and establish a companionship for both work and play that is beyond any other human relationship. Marriage. God designed marriage to be the foundation. God designed marriage to be forever until death do us part. Let me just interject here one word. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. God still hates divorce, but it is not the unpardonable sin. So as we go through talking about marriage, obviously in any mixed congregation today, we have all of these groups of people. Don't be condemned as we go through. Number two, a key element of marriage is oneness. One of the basic elements of marriage is oneness. Genesis 2.24 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother 
and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Notice the word, be united to his wife. Well, what does that mean? God unites, Satan divides. The word united is the opposite of divide. God's goal for your home, for a marriage, is one husband, one wife, becoming one unit. If you want to write an illustration for oneness, it's this. Learning to be interdependent. Interdependent. Working together as a team. Now, God was going to bring two people together, very distinctively different people, not only sexually, but in every way, emotionally and talented and whatever, so they could satisfy each other's unique needs. They were instantly one. But this oneness would really be a lifetime process. They were no longer, Adam was, no longer alone. Now, this oneness between a husband and wife is given to us for a number of reasons. Amos says, can two walk together? And this, they agree. Point number three is this. Satan is out to destroy marriage in the home through division. Remember, Mark said this. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. God's designed you to be one in these areas. Listen, when you're on a business trip, he or she is in this world today, a thousand miles from home, they're still one. Remember that. You're in the hotel room alone. Your wife or husband's a thousand miles back. You're still what are you watching? You're still one. You're one when he has a heart attack. You're one when she comes home and says, the mammography says there's a suspicious lump. You're one when he loses his job or when he gets a promotion. You're one when she's having children and you're one as you're marrying off your children. Let me ask you this morning, how is Satan doing in your home? Is there oneness? Is there a mutual commitment between a husband and wife to walk together? Are you growing together? Or are you growing apart? Good news, verse 27, point number four this morning. Jesus has the power to defeat Satan and restore oneness to your marriage. Praise God. You see... Jesus said this, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Let me give you some biblical steps to oneness. Number one, don't have unrealistic expectations. That's one of the keys, I believe, in all of our lives. Now, there are how many perfect marriages? There are no perfect marriages. You remember Adam came to God and said, I'm lonely. And God said, well, good. God said he was going to make the most gorgeous mate in all the world for him. One that would be intelligent, understanding, compassionate. She would be caring and loving. One who could cook his meals, always clean up after him. Soothe him after working a hard day in the garden. Meet his every desire and need. Adam would have somebody to look up to him and treat him with the greatest of respect. 
His simplest word would be her command. <laughs> Adam was intrigued and he said, God, I want this woman. She sounds terrific. God said, well, it's going to cost you some things and here's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you one of your arms, your right eye, your left ear, and your left foot. Adam thought a while. And he said, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't have unrealistic expectations. She'll never be that and neither will you. Now I want to speak to a moment quickly to singles. Some of you have so much unrealistic expectation for that spouse that's going to come, you're going to be 98, no tooth, drooling, and still not find anybody. <laughs> don't be stupid. You don't grab the first one that comes along, but if God brings one to you, don't be commit the unpardonable sin, marry her. After all, if you think they have to be so good and so perfect, put a mirror in front of yourself, that'll take care of that real quick, won't it? There are no... Perfect marriages. We all experience hurts, frustrations, and conflicts. It's all a part of the process. Don't have unrealistic expectations. Number two, quit listening to the lies of Satan and start believing God's truth. Since God designed the marriage, his Bible tells us how to live it. But in the garden, Satan lied to Eve and he said, you can't trust God's word. Satan this morning is still lying to us as couples, as singles, as divorced people. Here's what he says. Your spouse is the enemy. That's a lie. Your spouse is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. He says, you'll never make it. He says, the grass is always greener. Problem is, when you get on the other side of the fence, you come with it. Many times, second marriages end quicker than the first because their expectations were something was going to be different, and they're not. Thirdly, he'll say this. He'll lie to you and say God's plan for marriage is outdated. That's exactly what the world is saying today. There's no need for it. That's a lie. And the second thing he'll say is divorce is acceptable. Divorce is not acceptable. It is forgivable, but it's not acceptable. still a sin. Yes, we're human. Yes, we sin. Yes, we have divorce. But it's not God's first plan. Lastly, He'll say, the oneness principle is too difficult. Just live for yourself. Find true happiness. Live for yourself. But the Bible teaches that every time Satan brings one of those thoughts in, just write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We're to take captive that thought. Every one of those thoughts that doesn't come from the Bible, when it comes into our mind through TV, through radio, through the movies you go to, through psychology, through the talk shows, whatever, one of those things come, you grab a hold of it, and you say, this is not what the Bible says. Now, what does the Bible say? Here's what the Bible says. Nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Secondly, my marriage can never really be good. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even ask or think. Notice God seems to be the focus here, doesn't it? Yes, it's God. It's not you. It's God. Believe God's word. Quit listening to the lies of Satan. Let me give you some words quickly that you can write down. These are words that shouldn't be given in your home. In other words, that person that was mute, they should stay mute when you hear these words. Hurt. Trapped, put down, will never make it. 
And here's one that will destroy your marriage. I quit. You see, to have a marriage survive, you need both people. They have to be working together. If your spouse says, I don't want to work on it, I'm not going to work on it, I don't care what you do, and you prayed and prayed and prayed and you've been with them forever, and they finally said, I just quit, only God can change their heart. You're in a very difficult situation because it takes two to do it. Those are words you don't want to have in your vocabulary at home. By the way, there's another word you don't ever want to use. It's called divorce. My wife and I, when we got married 31 years ago, made a pact that we won't use the word divorce. Now, we might use the word kill and (laughs) things like that, but never divorce. But never divorce. Now, here's words you want to use. I need you. When's the last time you looked at your spouse and said, I need you? Without sexual connotation, guys. Because we hear that from our wives, don't we? Okay, what's the roses for? Why are you here? Here we go. Just because I need you. Remember, Eve was given to Adam to complete him. How do you see it? A woman is not a servant. A woman is a partner. You're in this together. You're one. Let's work it out. And it's not easy, is it? I'll help you. And the last one, you can put this one on your refrigerator. Together, we can make it. By the way, draw you a little triangle right outside of together. We can make it. And at the top of your triangle, put God. On the one side, put an H for husband. On the other side, put a W for wife. That's who can make it together. Take God out of the triangle, you're in trouble. Put God as the head of your home, you got it. Number three, treat your marriage as a covenant and not a contract. You see, God designed the marriage not as a contract. Today, a contract says this. It's an agreement between two parties for a mutual exchange of good and services. If either party fails to deliver their part, you just dissolve the contract. Commitment is lifelong. It's between you, your spouse, and God. And it says this. Whatever it's going to take, we're committed to each other. Regardless, we're in it for the long haul. It doesn't matter what comes. We're in it and we're going to make it. God's going to help me. Now, the last one I think is very important this morning, and it's this. Practice forgiveness. I believe one of the greatest barriers to oneness in a home is unforgiveness. If God has promised to forgive any sin that I've committed then the Bible challenges me to do exactly the same to anybody. Even if they were wrong, I need to practice forgiveness. What happens with forgiveness, guys, is this. You get unforgiveness, then it's mixed in with anger. It'll go down a path to the end result called bitterness. And bitterness and anger and unforgiveness have the shelf life of a Twinkie. It will last forever, but get harder and staler and no flavor, and that's exactly what your life will be. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Write this verse down. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Why do I forgive? Because God forgave me every sin that I've ever committed. I can't do any less. We finished off today's lesson with a very important key to unity in any relationship, and that's forgiveness. We must be willing to forgive, and we must be willing to be forgiven. Let's face it, we're all human. We all make mistakes. 
So let's be quick to say we're sorry and quick to forgive. Address your problems. Deal with your issues. Don't let them create a root of bitterness. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll talk about the parable of the sower. We'll learn that when it comes to gardening, the condition of your soil has a lot to do with whether or not you'll bear good fruit. The same is true with us. When we sow seeds of truth, sometimes they'll blow away. Sometimes they'll take quick root and then wither up. But sometimes they'll land on fertile ground and blossom. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living. And together, let's do life right.